0: If I can help one person shift from the pain body to the light body to the love body, then I've done my job.
1: Hey, today on the Gravity Podcast, we are here with Christy Whitman. Christy Whitman is a transformational leader, celebrity coach, and law of attraction expert, as well as the two-time New York Times bestselling author of The Art of Having It All and Taming Your Alpha Bitch. She is also the author of the international bestseller Quantum Success. Her forthcoming book, The Desire Factor, will be released in April of 2021. Christie has appeared on the news, The Today Show. Sorry, Christie has appeared on the news, The Today Show, The Morning Show, TEDx, and the Hallmark Channel. And her work has been featured in the media and various publications. She's been featured in Goalcast, People Magazine, Seventeen, Women's Day, Hollywood Life and Teen Vogue, just to name a few. Christy is the CEO and founder of the Quantum Success Learning Academy and Quantum Success Coaching Academy, a 10-month Law of Attraction coaching certification program. Christy has helped certify over 3,000 life coaches and has helped countless others to unlock their power to manifest. She lives in Scottsdale with her husband, Frederick, and her two boys, Alex and Maxim. And it's awesome to have you, Christy. Welcome.
0: I'm so happy. I'm so grateful that a mutual friend of ours uh, introduced us and I get to be here with you, Brett.
1: Yes. David Meltzer is the great connector. And uh, yes, he's a a good friend. So uh, awesome to have you. And as you know, when at the Gravity Podcast, we've been really giving people a chance to share their full life journey, their story with the audience. And I know yours is a great one. So I'd love to kind of start at the very beginning and hear uh kind of how you came into this world and what your early childhood was like your family your upbringing and you know kind of what might have really stood out from those early years
0: well i was it's interesting i'm not living too far from where i was born and raised i was born and raised in scottsdale arizona and um have a have a big uh, italian family and we spent a lot of time with uh, family on Sundays having big pasta dinners and all sorts of things like that. Um, I had a sister who was 11 years older than me. And so for for me, when I was about, I want to say five years old, she moved out of the house and um, moved to California. And so it was it was um, what I thought was just normal because I didn't know anything different. You know, I saw grandparents all the time. I had cousins and my sister though was very much a she was a drug addict and she was um, just had a really hard life and so she, it was difficult to have her kind of come in and out of our lives because she would come home for visits and it would be a very different dynamic and so there was a lot of shifting and trying to figure out the dynamics of things i remember as a young kid and then she would leave and then, and then things would go back to normal and then she would come back and so there was a lot of it was almost like there was two different families that i that i had while i was growing up my mom my dad myself and then my sister would would come back mm-hmm. and so that that's pretty much what it was i mean i you know i my dad was a mechanical engineer and hardest working person i'd ever known he worked 6 days a week and you know try to provide for the family and he did a he did a very nice job for us
1: Mm. Yeah, that's that's interesting. I'm curious the age difference between you and your sister, and kind of how old you were as you started to become aware of her addiction.
0: Well, I was in my, I think it was in eighth grade, and I remember you know some of the kids at school were talking about smoking pot for the mm-hmm. first time, and she had come home for a visit, and I said, and she started asking me, "Are any of your friends having sex?" And I was like, "Oh, you know, oh my god, you know." And then she's like, are they doing drugs? Are they drinking alcohol? And I said, well, yeah, there's some kids at school that are smoking pot. Or I think it was in seventh grade. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and she said, well, if you ever want to smoke it with me, I have it, you know, and, and she just had it readily available with her. And um, I said, no, you know, I, I don't want to do that. And, but she left me a joint. She goes, just in case I want you to, you know, if you're going to smoke it, I want you to smoke it with me or smoke this because this is good. Don't do it with your friends. And so she hid a joint in her bedroom. And um, I remember one night my parents were out and I decided to do it by myself because I wanted to figure out what was the big deal. And uh, I was in my house (laughs) by myself, smoking a joint, no idea what to expect. Because I think she she made me smoke it with her and nothing happened. I was like, I don't get it. So Mm -hmm. I thought, I'll try it again. And I was home by myself and I smoked the whole joint. Not knowing what I was doing, and I was sitting there staring at the walls, like totally tripping out because like the veils were just like moving, and I was like, "Whoa, you know, just freaking out, calling her, going, "Oh my God, and so that was like my first experience of her kind of pushing you know getting me to kind of enter into her world, if you will, and uh, that freaked me out so much that i didn't i didn't smoke it for a while, but when I was in uh, I want to say I was probably a freshman in high school. I went to go visit her in California and she was um, a lesbian. She lived with a woman. And when her her girlfriend picked me up from the airport, she brought me to her friend's house and they were all snorting cocaine. And mm-hmm. I was just watching this and it was like, it was just a daily occurrence that they would just do this in front of me. And my sister would do it in the car with her girlfriend. And, you know, so it was, I was around it a lot when I was with my sister But I didn't realize that it became, that it was really a problem or a a big addiction for her until I was, I remember I was in college and my mom and dad and I were going to visit her in San Diego as we did several times a year. And my mom pulled me aside and she said, We got a call last night from your sister's friends and they're very concerned about her because they're saying that she's shooting cocaine into her, her veins and they're really concerned because it's beyond what they were doing together and partying and things like that. And, um, it's gotten really bad. And so I was like, okay. And so we get to, we all agree, the three of us, my mom and dad and I, that we weren't going to say anything until we get to the hotel and we could sit her down and talk to her about it. And so my sister and her girlfriend, Vicky picked us up at the airport and my mom says to, to Vicky, I know. And, and She's like, you know what? And so Vicky pulls me into the bathroom at the, at the airport and says, what, is your, what do you guys know? What does your mom know? And I said, we got a call from your friends saying that Teresa's got a really bad you know, addiction. And she's like, Christy, you guys cannot say anything to her because if you do, she's going to kill herself. And then we're like, what do you mean? She says, she's threatened me that if I ever tell you or your parents that she'll kill herself. And so I'm like, oh, great. And she's like, is your mom going to say something? And I said, well, she's planning on it when we go back to the hotel. So Vicky, we went to this restaurant and sitting on the beach and Vicky and my sister go into the bathroom and I'm sitting there at the table with my mom and my dad and they're taking forever. And my mom says, well, should we go check on them? And I said, yeah. And I walk into the bathroom. I'll never forget. It had like baby blue colored stalls. And my sister locked herself in one of the stalls. Vicky was outside the stalls and she had a syringe full of water to her vein. And which obviously if you do that, you mm-hmm. die. Mm-hmm. And so Vicky was saying, Christy, she's in there with a syringe full of water. She's threatening to kill herself. And and my sister's saying, Does mom and dad know? Is this true? And I said, Yeah, your friends call. Let's talk about it. It's, don't kill yourself. Like, you know, I'm trying to talk mm-hmm. my sister, you know, who's older than me, supposed to be my older sister trying to get her to, to just come out of the bathroom and not do what she's about to do. And I don't know what I said. I don't know what I did, but she ended up coming out, putting the syringe away. We sat down at lunch. We acted as if nothing happened, like nobody knew anything. We had lunch. We went back to the hotel and that's when my, my parents told my sister, which she obviously already knew. Mm-hmm. So she denied it. She said, oh, they're just after me. You know they
1: mm-hmm. they uh,
0: they don't know anything blah blah blah, and um, my mom and dad believed her.
1: Yeah, I'm 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 going to just jump in there. That is um, really a powerful story and one that you know I am sure had a significant impact on you. And I want to hear kind of how things unfold from from that point on. But I want to just pause and really try to understand from your perspective, you know, how this started to land with you. And and I'm sure that it's shaped you as you go forward into your life today. But at the time, you know, you're in you're in seventh grade. You're 13. You're 15. You know, people often think of high schoolers as older than they really are. You know, I have a, a freshman in college, a senior in high school, and a freshman in high school. My freshman in high school, he's 14 years old. That's yeah, young. It's it young is. to really be in those kind of situations. And that has to land with you in a way that is really scary and impactful. I don't know exactly what the emotions are or the thinking is at that time, how that starts to affect you in your life at that stage. Can you maybe speak to that a little bit before we you know, go forward with the rest of that story?
0: Yeah, for me, I, I just felt that I wasn't safe. Because my mom and dad like could easily be, you know, they, they could easily easily be influenced by her. And even though she would lie to them, they would believe her. And so it was like, seriously, are you two <laughs> you're smart people? Like can you not see with your eyes? And they just would believe her lies. And so that didn't feel like I'm safe, you know, and, and it was almost like, who are these people? Why, why, why are you allowing her to lie to you like that and and to believe this? And with my sister, I just didn't feel I was safe either. So for me, it was, I i felt very alone because I felt like I'm seeing, it was almost like I was rising above. I could, I could elevate and see what they don't see. And it was like, why? That was, I think, the first time where I really felt like I'm so different from my family. Like, they just don't get it. Yeah. And, and I'm
1: curious, you know, aside from being kind of in this mesh situation with your sister. And I don't know how consuming that was. What else were you kind of doing with your life at that point? Were you, were you focused on your studies? Were you focused on athletics? You know, how was kind of the the drug or party kind of stuff um, starting to play out in your own life? Or or, you know, what path were you taking? Kind of separately from what was going on with your sister.
0: Well, at that time, I remember the the boyfriend I was dating. He would smoke pot, and he was involved in you know doing you know we would go out and drink and you know party in that way. But at that point, I wasn't smoking a lot of a pot, or I wasn't doing anything like that. But I remember I was very focused. I've always been very driven, and I knew that I needed to and wanted to get a college education. So for me. That was really what was what was you know what I was doing. I worked at a bar. I put myself through college. My parents paid for the college. I paid for everything else, my room board, you know, all that stuff. And so I was really focused because I wanted to graduate with a degree, and I wanted to make my own money, and I wanted to be successful. So that was the thing that really got me focused and grounded on keeping focused in my own life. That's that's one thing that I always had the ability to do because uh, um, she ended up. uh, committing suicide. And this was several years later. But Mm -hmm. even at the time when she committed suicide, I remember thinking, okay, she chose and even wrote a book about it called Why Did She Choose Suicide? I mean, she chose what she chose. That was her life. It was her decision. How am I going to make my life the best it can be and not let her decision affect my life? And it was that same mentality that I had, even when we were in San Diego on that trip, because I remember she 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 wanted to stay in a hotel because she had been hallucinating as she was shooting up she had cuz she could see um all these bugs crawling on her and other people and she was, I mean, she was telling my mom and dad mm-hmm. that she was infested her office was infested with these worms and mites and stuff and they were believing her they were telling mm-hmm. her oh you got to get it exterminated you got to mm-hmm. do this and so she said i don't want christy to stay at the house because I don't want her to get infested. So she wanted to stay in a hotel room. And so I was staying with my sister in the hotel room. And I and I remember saying to her, I'm like thinking that maybe this would click something for her. I'm like, all right, I wanna see what the big deal, because at that point I never, and I still to this day, I've never done any cocaine, probably because of my sister and mm-hmm. seeing what she went through because I had opportunities and I always said, oh, hell no, mm-hmm. right? Because it's like, I see what it leads to. Right, but I remember that we were in the hotel room, and I'm like, "All right, I want to see what the big deal is. Give, put me, a, give me a line." And she's like, "Oh, really? Okay." And she starts, and I go, "Are you freaking crazy? Mm-hmm. Like, look at yourself. You think that there are bugs everywhere? You're mm-hmm. hallucinating. You're lying to mom and dad. You're shooting up. Like, you're not well." And I'm your kid's sister, mm-hmm. and you want me to do that so I can end up like you? Yeah. And, and that was a moment in time where I'm like, she doesn't care about me. Like, yeah. I'm not safe with her. Because if yeah. I'm the older sister, I'm thinking she's going to go, oh, hell no, don't touch the stuff. Right. right? She right. wants to include me in the misery and the suffering of it.
2: Sure.
1: Right. So. Misery loves company. Yeah. Uh, especially at that level and with the complexity of family. And, you know, I'm a big fan of Gabor Mate and his work. And he talks about, Addiction really being about pain, that there's a, a pain and, and it's not so much about the, thing, the drug of choice. It's really more about people trying to find ways to numb their pain. Yes. And people are so resourceful. Russell Brand tells a great story about checking himself into rehab for the last time. And when he got there, the intake woman said, Wow, look at you. You were so clever. You were so smart and resourceful to be able to use heroin to get you here, right? That that you know the depths of which people go to to numb that pain. Do you have a sense? Did you did you ever um, get to be able to communicate with your parents or your sister or or anyone to understand? You know, maybe what was underneath the addiction or what is your belief? Do you believe that it was simply once she got started, she couldn't stop and it was total substance abuse addiction combination of, tell me a little bit more about that.
0: Yeah. Cause she wasn't just addicted to cocaine. I mean, so, so yeah, she, she ended up seeing a therapist and she actually ended up seeing the movie with uh, Barbara Streisand I'm trying to think of it she's a therapist it'll come to me but this this movie literally she loved Barbara Streisand so seeing her in this movie completely changed everything for her and she realized I need to go to therapy and when she started going to therapy she she started becoming more aware she still was doing the drugs. I mean, you know, I I remember I went to San Diego with her because we started having these in-depth conversations about our parents and about her pain. And I could relate to some of it, not all of it, but I remember watching her and she would go from first thing in the morning drinking a pot of coffee, smoking a bowl, you know, doing a line of coke, drinking a, you know, six-pack of diet Pepsi, eating a bunch of, sh- you know, sugar candy, M&Ms. And then starting the whole process all over again and eating a bunch of food, you know. So she was a di- very addictive person to everything and everyone. I mean, she was mm-hmm. even codependent, addicted to people. And so, you know, this was a, a common occurrence for her. She was always looking for something to try to make herself feel better. and And yet she was very addicted to the actual substance of it too. But I remember sitting there in this hotel room we were sat there for an entire weekend, barely left the hotel room, and you know, and this is after that initial conversation of her getting, you know, the realization that she was shooting up and everything. And we just had these great conversations about what she was learning about herself and kind of the pieces that were falling into place for her. And that's when she started like watching Oprah and started, you know, uh, listening to and reading all the people that Oprah would have on, you know, as Oprah was going through her recovery. My sister would buy, you know, Janine Janine Ross on, you know, When Food is Love and Debbie Ford's information and Marianne Williamson and, you know, all these different people that she would then talk to me about. And so Mm -hmm. that's one of the best things about it is that I got to be introduced to that awareness and that work out of pretty, you know, fairly young age. I remember she bought me my first personal development book by Barbara DeAngelis when I was in college, Mm -hmm. right? And so I, lo- I read it and you know that sort of thing but I really wasn't into personal development at that point but it was like she was always introducing me to different concepts and what I would listen as she was learning about herself and you know and and those were my best conversations with her.
1: Yeah and and I'm a big believer this has actually been coming a lot coming up a lot for me and uh, a part of the work that I'm doing in my life and it's really um, in large part, really, the point of this podcast is because I do believe this is just my worldview that everything is kind of happening in a divine architecture of which you know is for our benefit and serving us always. And when I look back at my own life, the things that were often um, really challenging or you might say is difficult or things you would have rather not happened, every one of those things has served me very well. There was a, a real profound learning that was exactly what I needed and I'm really, very grateful for, for having. And, and I know kind of as I see the trajectory of your work, um, those early pangs of that kind of personal growth world had a, a significant impact, maybe way more than you realized at the time.
0: Oh, absolutely.
2: Uh, yeah.
0: Yeah. I yeah. mean, I, I know that I do now what I do because of that. And, you know, I even said when I first started out, it's like, I became so dedicated to healing myself because I didn't want to be like my sister. Yeah. And so when I started doing this work, it was like, I'm doing this for those people that feel as though my sister had felt because if I can help one person shift from the pain body to the light body to the love body, then I've done my job. And Mm -hmm. I'm gratefully I've been able to help thousands of people do that. So, which is very rewarding and very I feel very much on purpose and I'm very grateful. As you said, it wasn't fun going through it. Sure. You know? And my, my parents actually, the other day, they were cleaning out their stuff because we're um, going to move them into a different, uh, smaller house. And uh, they found some things that we cleared from my sister 24 years ago. My mom still had her wallet.
2: Mm-hmm. And
0: so things came up from them the other day. And it's like, it's it is a pain like no other when you try to raise a child in some way I can't even understand, nor do I want to. I don't want to have ever that kind of pain where you try to raise a child the best you can. And my dad, when this happens, I ultimately can't protect them from themselves.
1: Yeah, yeah. And and I want to get to the work that you're doing, but I want to just stay with this subject with your sister. Uh, how many years go by before she does commit suicide? And you, know, you talked just a little bit about The the impact of your family still to this day. I'm curious, kind of, you know, what happens and how that does really land with your family, and and kind of um, not that you ever really fully heal from something like that, but you know, what is the process that then your family goes through to start to try to heal from that experience?
0: Well, let me let me share this because two days after I graduated from ASU. I was moving to Chicago and I was super excited, right? And I had packed up my entire life in this little Nissan truck, and she was gonna drive across country with me. And the whole time she is listening to Marianne Williamson while snorting Coke and smoking pot and you know, doing this whole thing. So she's kind of living in two totally different worlds as I'm driving. And we get to Chicago and she had ran out of her cocaine. And so I'm busy getting my life together, putting my stuff in my apartment and you know, figuring out, do I need alarm clock? What do I need to do? What do I need to buy? You know, The kind of the new move. And she's sleeping on the couch and all of a sudden um, FedEx comes to my door and there they drop a package. And I open up the door and it says to my name was Christy Valish at that time, it says Christy Valish. And I'm like, what is this? and i open it up and it is a lot of cocaine came to me mm-hmm. in my name mm-hmm. i just graduated college
2: mm-hmm.
0: i'm like driven to create a career to you know to to do the things i want make my own money and do these things and i just looked at her and i go you sent cocaine across the country from california to chicago in my name if that mm-hmm. package was picked up i'm the one that would go to jail for that Mm-hmm. My life is now over. And I said, you are no longer my sister. This is done. Because this mm-hmm. has been years and years of her getting me in situations. And I'm yeah. like, we're done. Get on the. She was going to stay for like another week. Get on the first plane you can get on. But we're no longer sisters. Mm-hmm. And it was like tough love. Yeah. And... So, you know, a, a month goes by. My mom's like, you know, you really should call your sister. I'm like, I don't have a sister. And she's like, Christy, she's clean. I'm like, yeah, I heard that before.
2: Mm-hmm. And
0: I, I, no, I'm not doing it. Right. I'm, I have no, no use for her in my life. I'm focused on what I'm doing. This is my life. I need to live my life. And so another week or two, well, she's clean. She's doing really well. You should give her a call. No. Right. Two months go by. She's clean. She, she detoxed by herself. She didn't go to rehab. She's doing this on her own. And she calls me and she says, I'm, I'm clean. You know, mm-hmm. losing you as a sister was one of the most painful things. And I, it, it jolted me to get clean. And I said, well, good for you. I mm-hmm. still was very much like, you know, at arm's right. length, guarded, right? So all that to say is that she was clean for five years. And, and when she committed suicide, she wasn't doing cope. Mm-hmm but because of the fact that her brain was so damaged and mm-hmm. after the fact i learned a lot about you know suicide prevention as a matter of fact i in my early part of the career in this personal development industry i was speaking colleges in, you know on suicide prevention and she was a checklist mm-hmm. you know and even though she had been clean for 5 years Things she broke up with her girlfriend, her business wasn't doing well, she didn't have any money to go get cocaine mm-hmm. to, to ease the pain of what was happening. And so she did the ultimate escape. Mm-hmm. And so my dad just completely suppressed it. He mm-hmm. won't and then when, when things come up for him, like a letter or something comes up, he he just loses it. It's like it just happened because mm-hmm. he didn't do anything to heal himself. Mm-hmm. My mom on the other hand, would buy flowers for her every week, would light a candle for her church, pray, pray, pray all the time for her. She had her own different process. For me, all three of us had very different ways of coping with it. For me, I understood that everything is energy and that if I feel angry, I need to feel that anger. Mm -hmm. If I feel sad, I need to feel that sadness. I mean, the, the biggest times for me where I would get super triggered is at Christmas time because that was always the time that we would spend together. And I remember we'd just have this overwhelming feeling of sadness and I would just stop. Whether it was like I was putting up the Christmas tree or whatever I was doing, I would stop. I would go into my bedroom or my closet or somewhere that you know I could be alone and I would just cry and just let myself cry as many tears as I needed to cry to get out the grief of it and to really take an active role in my healing with it. Mm -hmm. Because they say time heals all wounds, but it doesn't. You have to take an active approach. I mean, I look at my dad today. It's been almost 25 years. He just saw a letter from and completely lost it as if it had just happened. Mm -hmm. So time may make us forget some things, but the energy, and that's really what my work is today, is the energy is still active if you don't let it out and process it. And that's yeah. why I feel like I could sit here and have a conversation with you about something I've never talked about on a podcast or interview before. I've never shared those stories. And to not have to oh, cry or feel mm-hmm. feel that coming up because I've released it.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Th- this is really, really important. And I, I'm curious. Before we kind of talk a little bit more about that, how did you come to that work? I don't know, you know, what you studied or what your early career looked like. Um, but how did you learn to do that? Was it self-taught? Was it therapy? Tell me. Tell me. Kind of how that's 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 like a very difficult. Even if it might sound simple, it's a very hard learning there's a reason your dad didn't do that. It's very, very hard to even have an opening to learn that that is the way forward. Uh, so tell me about kind of how you came to that understanding, that learning, that, that knowledge.
0: Well, so I was living in Chicago and, and the thing that I was so driven to do, right? Here I am, I'm living with my best friend in a brownstone. I have health in my body. I've got money in the bank. I've got this great career you know my i don't think i could have had a better job in my early 20s i, I sold wine for a wine company in the city of chicago and I, I i had on premise so bars restaurants hotels and i would grab my girlfriend and say let's go eat at mortons or you know these awesome restaurants so i could go meet the manager or the owners it, everything would be expense paid and you know we would go into all these different bars and have fun but in the quiet times i felt lost and i felt like okay i've i've achieved everything that i set out to achieve that i was so focused on achieving why do i feel so empty it was like what is the purpose of this and to have that feeling at such a young age i was like okay what's it all about i'm not i'm not happy here and i could see and that's what was really scary is i could see myself in my sister and i could see my sister in myself and i could see that dissatisfaction and that's what scared me and so i started just had this hunger in me, and I believe that that hunger, that asking, really led me on this path. Because I remember I was raised Catholic and everything, and you know went through the whole process of being confirmed and everything. And I remember thinking, well, maybe I'll go back to church. And I went to this beautiful church, you know. At, at, I would go there on Sunday mornings. This gorgeous church, and I would sit there and go, "This is about as empty as I feel always." It's like this is not this is not doing it for me. So I started dating a guy that was living in Northern California. We were long distance dating. And so I asked my company for a lateral move and I got there. And within less than a month, we broke up because I had a knack for always attracting the the bad boys kind of thing. So he was cheating and he was totally a player and everything. But the one person he introduced me to was a hairdresser. And so I need to get my haircut. And I went and I remember sitting in the chair and I was watching Janine And she had this, I didn't have all this language back then, but she just had this like effervescent joy that just exuded out of her. She just like was so bubbly. And, but it was different than any person I had ever met. And being as blunt as I am, I said to her, okay, what do you do? And she just started laughing because she knew exactly what I meant. And she says, I meditate. Now, (laughs) Brett, this is 25 years ago. I was not a meditator. My parents aren't meditators. I didn't know anybody that did that, right? So I'm thinking of like a guru with a long white beard sitting in yogi style oming. You know, when she said meditation, I was like, meditate. And she goes, yeah, I'll introduce you to my meditation teacher. Her name's Melanie. Here's her phone number. And we talked more at length. And she told me how much she's changed and what her life looked like and what it looks like now. And I was sold. So I'm dialing Melanie's phone number as I'm like leaving the salon with those big clunky, <laughs> big cell phones. And um, within a week I enter into Melanie's house and it's full of like the you know new age music and there's candles everywhere and you know statues and crystals and, and all and I'm like, Where am I? This is so bizarre. And so we sat down on the floor on cushions, you know, and the first thing she says to me, now this is before internet, this is before a lot of books were out there. This is definitely pre-secret. I mean, all this stuff we're talking 25 years ago. She says to me, you create your own reality. And there was something in me that just went, yes, that's true. I'd never heard that before. It was such a place of connection. And it was like spiritual truth was going, oh, you know, it was just this, oh my God, that's true. Right? And it, it, it was a feeling of like, I'm not a victim to all this other stuff. I create, wow, I create my own reality. It was this moment of like, Right, just huge expansion. But then my logical brain kicked in and went, Well, how? You know, and she proceeded by saying, Your thoughts, you're either attracting things to you or repelling things from you based on your thoughts. And again, I was like, I I look like a dog that's confused. Like my dog, when I talk to him, he goes, Right, it's like the huh? What do you mean, my thoughts? My thoughts are my thoughts. I mean, I knew I could change my mind. I don't want to wear this. I want to wear that. I don't want to go here. I want to go there, but my thoughts are my thoughts,
1: yeah, and explain that for people that you know maybe are still kind of uh, waking up to that concept or maybe struggling with it in in some way. You know can is it about choice? Is it about being able to choose how you want to? be with something, to see it, to view it, you know, when the, talk a little bit more about unpacking that kind of initiation with the thought.
0: Yeah. So it's funny because I thought my thoughts were my thoughts and they're real, but our thoughts are just thoughts and we are the observer of those thoughts. So yes, it's always about choice. We have been endowed with a thing called free will. And with free will, we get to choose our thoughts. If you're not aware of that, like I wasn't, I was like, choose my thoughts. Well, I just think what I think. Mm -hmm. I mean, I can change them. And that's really where my first step was, is Melanie said to me, just go home, go about your day, but watch what you say inside of your head. Watch your thoughts. And that was the first time I ever did that. And I realized... How negative my thoughts were mm-hmm. I was so condemning and critical of myself I mean every little thing whether it was like I looked in the mirror look how fat your legs are it was like well that's mean
2: mm-hmm.
0: you know yeah. why are you doing that why are you doing that you're not gonna succeed at that <gasps>
2: mm-hmm.
0: like that's going through in my head all the time
2: mm-hmm.
0: right or not even just the way I thought about myself what I thought about a stranger walking down the street, the way I thought about God, the way God felt about me. Mm-hmm. You know, just the whole everything. It was so I was so mired in negative thinking.
1: You know, yeah. I often hear from people that I, I totally agree with what you're saying. And I think it's a um very clear. It's very clear for me, but it's also very difficult. It's a it's a practice. That's a very hard thing to even hear your thoughts and to realize that um, they're just thoughts, right? O- oftentimes, those thoughts are just unconsciously running us, and yes. we're not even stopping to listen to them. We think that that is who we are, and then we're living into that. and And what people often say that are living into that, they'll say well it's not a choice there's certain realities you know that that these things are true they're not debatable and they 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 can't really grasp that there's another way to look at it that the there's another way to be with it that that isn't about ignoring reality it's not about kind of suppressing the truth it's actually about choosing what Truth you really want to create for yourself, but but you know, do you also kind of hear that in your work is the kind of pushback and and maybe talk a little bit about you know how you've moved through that from that negative thinking and you know came to making a different choice.
0: Well, yeah. So the the biggest law for me to understand, which really helps people understand this as well, is the law of sufficiency and abundance because we do have thoughts or feelings or emotions or perspectives. That are based in limitation, or you know, very lack-filled, or limits, you know, uh, scarcity, uh, suffering, drama, chaos. Right? I grew up with that. My life was full of drama, and if I wasn't solving a problem, I mean, my mom still is, to this day goes, "Well, the problem is," right? She's always so focused on the problem or what what the issue is. Or the, in my first book called Perfect Pictures. It was about all these things are great, but the problem is the one thing that's not right that needs to be fixed. That's where the focus was. A lot of us do that, where we're focused on the lack. If we're focused on lack, which always feels bad, never feels good, all of the emotions of worry, fear, doubt, everything, sadness, disappointment, is all in this, the spectrum of lack. On the other side of the spectrum is abundance. That's where all the good feelings, joy, freedom, prosperity, success, prop- you know, purpose, passion, all excitement, all of that is over there. Well, what we know now is that everything is energy and that all energy carries a vibration. And that vibration goes out into the universe and collects more of itself. That's how our universe works and brings it into our reality. If we're in lack, we're going to continue to see perpetual abundance of lack because we're in an abundant universe. So people will look at the lack and go how can you say, look, think positive. I've got debt. I've got issues. I've got problems. Yeah. All of that got created before it became a reality. Your past thinking got you here. So unless you want to continue to create that reality, you got to shift your perspective. What's a better feeling thought from that place? What's a different perspective? Instead of focusing on the problem, what are the options? What are the solutions? What are the better choices? And that's not easy work because you're so, this is the reality. And to literally shift away from the reality, you have to be willing to do that. And to not, not do it for a minute, you have to consistently shift because there's momentum. There's past beliefs and thoughts and emotions that are going towards the reality of what we don't want and the, the evidence of the lack. So you have to work with now shifting the momentum to what you do want and why you do want it, and how you do want to feel.
1: Yeah, and my wife and I have actually been talking a lot recently about the concept of spiritual bypass. Uh, Because you said in dealing with your sister's, the loss of your sister, that you did feel all the emotions. You really did allow yourself to release all of that. And I think that sometimes people get a little confused with the kind of Secret, you know, manifestation. How do you want to choose your thoughts and choose the abundance, right? That sometimes people skip over the emotions that are necessary to be felt and released before they go to that. And that is a real um, delicate thing. Can you maybe speak to just how you do both feel the feels and, um, you know, choose the thoughts?
0: I love that point that you just said because it's not burying your head in the sand. Abraham Hicks talks about if you're driving in your car and all of a sudden your gas gauge goes to empty, you don't just stick a happy face sticker on it and keep moving, right? You got to pull the car over, put gas in the car. And that's really what we're talking about. For me, around the time my sister, I was clear, I will not allow what she did determine my life experience. And I'm going to create my best life and let what what happened with her Be an understanding that I don't want to go there. I want to live differently, and so that was my dedication. That's where my focus was. That's when I started doing deep meditation and and started understanding about you know who I really am and connecting with that. But when the emotions came up, I can't go. Oh, I'm just going to think positive. I mean, when the sadness came up, I had to sit with the sadness and let all of that energy. If we look at everything as just energy, thoughts are energy, emotions are energy, perspective is energy. Words are energy. If we look at everything as energy, I just let myself feel the pulsation of that sadness. And sometimes a lot of tears came out, or sometimes it was anger. I feel so angry and just let myself feel that, that like red dragon energy come up because I could see what my what my sister did to my parents, you know, how my parents were taking it. And that angered me, right? To be able to feel that. And then come back into a peaceful place, bring in the energy of what I did wanna feel. But you can't just suppress it. Keep keep suppressing it. It's gonna, you know, come up. Like my dad, he suppressed and suppressed and suppressed. And sees one piece of paper that says her name on it. God forbid he should get a piece of mail that has her name on it. And he completely, it's like, you know, like the pain body versus the light body, Mm -hmm. right? Mm-hmm. it's kind of like you've got a really bad sunburn and you're walking around with this sunburn and someone just slaps you on the arm. <laughs> it activates it, right? Well, emotions, releasing the emotions, I don't have any sunburns with my sister anymore because I, I dealt with it. Yeah,
1: yeah. Well, good for you. And it sounds like the, the meditation being kind of the first of the tools that comes in and kind of kicks this off, which was true for me too. I... Learned to meditate uh, about 20 years ago. And at the time, it's an interesting thing because I, like you, you know, had really not much understanding of what it was. It felt like it kind of came to me as most of this stuff does and um, wasn't something that I was really open about because it was still very stigmatized. But I still hear today common uh, that people struggle really with meditation, they still have a lot of. Um, kind of you know beliefs about what it is or they're not good at it or it's hard. Uh, I'm curious kind of as you start to um, move into the work that you're doing now and that being kind of the spark, you know kind of talk a little bit about what you're doing in your process and how you kind of meet people with the work that that you do
0: so. I do a very um, high vibrational energy meditation for clients. And so I do guided meditations. And I find that that's a really good way for people to start meditating. Because when you're doing a guided meditation, you're the one that's asking for the energy to come in. So you're starting to feel yourself as an energy master. You're starting to feel yourself as energy and how you can easily release negative energy, bring in higher energy energy and so it's a meditation where you're still your mind is still engaged in the doing of something but you're doing something really powerful to align yourself and connect yourself instead of just sitting in silence with nothing that is like so difficult for people starting off in meditation mm-hmm. so i i recommend for people starting off with meditation to do guided meditations where you're actually connecting with the energy and i've got tons of Meditations on my YouTube channel and Christy Whitman International on Facebook, Facebook Christy Whitman International, I mean, tons of, of different meditations. But that's really where I started doing guided meditations because when I would just try to sit in silence, it was really difficult. Mm-hmm. And I know it is for a lot of people that have that monkey mind that have never been able to just settle their mind. Now I'm able to just, you know, sit in a meditation and get beautiful insights and information. But mm-hmm. It's it's a progression like anything that's a skill. Meditation is a skill.
1: Yeah, yeah, and, and so talk a little bit about kind of what else you're doing. I know um, you really did take this experience with your sister, and and this is exactly the purpose of this podcast is because you know it does really tell the story how this all did unfold for you into a really beautiful. Outcome where you now have a really deep, profound learning, understanding, and and knowledge that you can support other people with, and uh, and and you know just in hearing the story, there's no way that doesn't um, happen if it isn't for the life that you lived. Uh, talk a little bit about the work that you're doing um, beyond the meditation. I know you're writing and speaking and. And offering coaching programs. Talk just a little bit about that.
0: Perfect. And I'd love to give a very big gift because I get a lot, a lot of times people say to me, you know, where do we start? Like, where do you really start to change your life? If, you're, if it's your thoughts, you know, I always say you got to watch your words because words have creative power. And so, because I got asked this all the time, people say, well, what kind of words? So I created a free, and I'm going to give that to all of your listeners, a free 30-day program. And you can go to watchyourwords.com. And what it is, is a quick minute and a half, four-minute video that you get every day. And each video tells you the word or phrase you absolutely want to just take out of your vocabulary and why, what it's doing to you energetically, and then what to replace it with instead. And so that's really like a really great place to start. But yeah, I do. I have cert, been certifying coaches through the Quantum Success Coaching Academy since two thousand and eight. So I teach other people to do what I do. I am now a channel. I've been channeling, all my books have been channeled, but I am now a full channel for the Quantum Council of Light. I have seven books, my seventh my seventh book is coming out in April called The Desire Factor, which I'm really excited about. But the biggest place and the biggest focus that everything is shifting to in my business right now, and where I really help people is by Christy and the council. I show up, the council comes in, they can see people holographically where they have pain points and imprints and they help them heal that and we teach classes together and things like that. So it's uh, I, I'm, I'm so grateful for, like you were saying, the past experiences that I had that have led me on my purpose and passion. Because what I do in this field, it continues to grow and expand, and it's amazing and it's so rewarding to see my clients transform and transcend their old past stuff.
1: Yeah, that's really, really great. And and you know, I, I'm a big fan of Paul Seelig's work and um, others that you know channel. I've you know, talked to mediums and others over the years, and I'm I'm just curious, maybe if you could speak to that a little bit, because I think that there's a very woo-woo kind of stigma, and a lot of people aren't familiar with it. And a lot of people think that it's uh, nonsense and not real, or some other kind of story about it. Um, maybe you can talk about it, because as you kind of bring in the 30 day, the words, the language, there's a lot of real practical. Easy bite-sized wisdom that is in there that isn't so woo-woo, but it gets a little kind of mucky and and easily dismissed. So maybe you could just speak to that in our kind of final few minutes.
0: Absolutely. You know, we do have to understand that whether we want to take the woo out of it, right? I mean, modern science and quantum physics has shown that everything is energy. I mean, and so we are not only physical; we are energy. We emit energy. We're energy towers sending out signals all day, every day. And so what happens with me is I my consciousness goes out and the council's consciousness comes in, which is it, being in their presence is like, wow, the, the energy is incredible. And there's no there's no way when you're in the presence of that, you can go, that's fake. I mean, because you can see I'm different and it's consistently different. And my mom said to me the other day, Your uncle's confused. He saw you in a video and he said you sound British because <laughs> I have a different accent. Mm-hmm. I sound different. My cadence is different. I mean, it's, it's easy, easily set, it's easily visible. Um, and for those that think it's fake and for those that think it's not real, then, then it's not for you. I'm not here to convince anybody, but those that can feel it and can sense it and can hear the wisdom that comes from the council, that's definitely not me you know, they're like, they're leaning in. Mm. And 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 that's really, I mean, every that's what the council's here to teach is that every single person is an energy master. We're all affecting our energy and everything in the forms of our lives. Most people are doing it by default and they don't realize where they're placing their energy. So it's time for us to deliberately figure out what it is that we want to create and flow the energy towards that. Because you said something that was so spot on, you said many things, but one thing you said is that we're, in our language, is we're divinely designed to thrive and to feel good. I mean, we, there is a blueprint, just like every human being. None of us are walking around with beaks or tails. We have two arms, two legs, one brain, one spinal cord, one heart. It's a blueprint. Well, just how we have our physical blueprint, there's an energetic spiritual blueprint of health and well-being. We're designed to have health and well-being designed to be abundant, designed to have co-creation and create projects and businesses and things that we love and and to have it be successful. We're designed to have every single one of our relationships, doesn't matter if it's with a mother-in-law or next-door neighbor or who it's with, to be loving and supportive. That's our divine design. And when we can connect with what our true divine design is and let that energy flow and release the pain body and release the the pain points and the imprints and the resistance and all that, that's what we naturally come back to is our divine design. And we get to thrive and feel good.
1: Mm. Yeah, that is the work, right? That is the... The mastery. And that is really well said. Christy, thank you for being here. Thank you for sharing your story. It's really a important one. And I really appreciate you so eloquently and honestly and openly sharing. Um, any final thoughts? Anything um, you want to share or where people can find you or anything else that you'd like to leave the audience with?
0: Well, I definitely go take advantage of the watchyourwords.com because it's helped a lot of people. But I have christywhitman.com as my main website. But, Brett, I want to thank you because you asked questions in a way that brought up stories that I never shared before and, and completely, frankly, forgot about. And I can see now like this timeline of involvement of where who I was and where I am now and how my life used to be. And it's, I, I just have so much gratitude for that awareness and for this conversation. So thank you for what you're doing in the world and what you just brought out of me.
1: Mm, It's my pleasure. That is really kind of you to say and really what I love to do and the purpose of this podcast. So awesome. Thanks, Christy. We will be in touch and and thanks again. It was a real pleasure. Thank Thank you for listening to The Gravity Podcast. Please subscribe to the show at Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. To learn more about the entire Gravity Project, please go to gravityproject.com. Please check out the podcast on Instagram, at thegravitypodcast. Music heard of the show is provided courtesy of Kyle Lamoro and Oliver Oak.